don't want me to sing. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, I am. Uh, I'm certainly glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, I know there's a lot of other places you could have been, but I'm glad you chose to be here. Um, I brought my own little fan club with me because I wasn't sure anybody else would show up because most of you have heard me preach tonight. Um, but my dad and his wife traveled down from, or I should say up from Tampa. Um, and Coach Rath, the guy I work with at school, came. My neighbors, Josh and Sabrina, came. And even Mike Kareem came to hear me preach. And I'm excited about that. Um, so I appreciate you guys coming tonight. Um, sorry if I seem to be showing some favoritism towards, towards certain people, but I appreciate all of you. I really do. Uh, tonight I'm going to be preaching out of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Um, hopefully Pastor Andy didn't preach on this this morning. I was preaching in junior church, so I have no idea what he said this morning. Um, but I'm hoping it wasn't this. So you don't hear the same thing twice. Pastor's given me the opportunity to preach uh, for the last couple Christmases, and I always enjoy it. Uh, It's a good experience, uh, but it makes you really think, because I feel like, I mean, I have no idea if you guys ever remember what I said a year ago, um, but I'm thinking, like, I've got to preach something different, you know? It's a year later. It's still Christmas, though, and so you want it to be Christmas-related. So bear with me, and and we'll do the best I can, Um, but when we think of Christmas... Uh, can you guys still hear me okay out here when I'm on this? All right, I want to make sure this microphone was on. You know, Christmas is a time of hope. It is something uh, that we look forward to. It's an exciting time of year, uh, not just because of, like, the family and all that, but the hope on the bigger, uh, the bigger picture. You know, we can think back 2,000 years ago to when Jesus Christ was born, um, and God sent his son to be born a man. You know, that's our ultimate gift. That's the gift that we received from God was his son, Jesus Christ. But... You know, we look over that story, and I know a lot of us are familiar with it. I know we've heard it many times, um, and maybe from different perspectives, and heard it preached over and over again. But when I really think about it, and you think about how far Mary and Joseph had to travel, um, and and the only the only way I can even compare this is is by thinking about what my wife was like when she was about to give birth, and. You know, I know, like, she did not like to stand or sit or lay or walk or not walk. Like, there was nothing that really, like, there was no comfortable position because she was ready to get that baby out of her belly. And that was, like, it. And so Mary and Joseph are traveling to go pay taxes. And then when they show up, there's no room at the end. And they get stuck basically in a barn with a bunch of animals. And they are out there, and that's where they're going to give birth to their son, uh, which is not really their son, but it's God's son who was put there. Um, and is Jesus Christ. And, and then we see the wise men who showed up from traveling, and they bring these gifts of frankincense, myrrh, and gold, which we'll come back to. And then King Herod, of course, he finds out that this person they're calling the king of the Jews, Jesus, is about to be born. And so what does King Herod do in a jealous rage? He wants to make sure nobody gets a shot at his kingdom, and he orders that all children under the age of two are to be murdered. Okay? And so we, when we really think about the Christmas story, you know, a lot of times I think we, we, we kind of make it, we glamorize it in our heads as to what actually took place. But that story wasn't as glamorous as it, as it would come across I think it's a beautiful picture. I mean, it was a glorious, wonderful gift. Um, there, there is no gift ever like it. I think it's a better picture of the fact that an almighty God sent his son to a world that was already waiting to reject him before he was ever born. I mean, they were there. Everything was stacked against him. There was nothing, nothing good or favorable there. Even if we look at the gifts that he was given from the wise men. And, you know, um, there was three gifts that they mentioned. I'm sure there was more given to them, but the frankincense, the myrrh, and the gold. The gold represents the fact that he's a king. 
Uh, the frankincense, which is a healing oil to show his humanity. Now he is a man, even though he's God, and his body is going to break down and be bruised and broken on the cross. And his myrrh. And when I think of myrrh, it's the most disturbing of all the gifts because myrrh at that time was used in burials. It was used to cover bodies so that they wouldn't smell bad when they were buried. And here they are giving this to a, a gift to a newborn baby, which is the Son of God. But again, it symbolizes his greater purpose. Jesus came for one purpose alone, and that was to die. You know, everybody is going to die one day, but Jesus came to die. And not just to die, period, but to die for you and to die for me. Um, and, and what a wonderful thing it is. And so that led me, as I was, as I was coming along, the Lord led me to Romans chapter 5. Um, and I, I hope that tonight you'll get something out of it. But I'm going to be reading verses uh, 6 through about... 12, and then there'll be a couple more later. But right now, I'm just going to read 6 through 12, then we'll pray and we'll get started. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death, by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this message tonight. Dear Lord, I am so thankful to be here in your house. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, these aren't my words, they're yours, and I just pray that I would just do a good job of explaining it, that people would understand it, that they would be receptive. We know that you say anytime your word is preached that it won't return void, and I pray that you would work in this building tonight, Lord. And I do pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, what better gift to give you at Christmas than their own life? Lord, we do love you, and I pray and ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So starting out here at verse 6, uh, and verse 6 says, you know, as I just read, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And the idea of being without strength is meaning there is literally nothing we could do. And I know a lot of people have probably found themselves in a situation where they feel like they are helpless. There is nothing further that they can do. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you've been through. Uh, but my, my first thought whenever I think of these is when someone is given a diagnosis with cancer, and not just any cancer, but when you hear someone with stage 3 or stage 4 cancer, and you have that feeling of helplessness, you realize at that point it is out of your hands. It's out of your control. You are without strength. Um, and, and the idea, we, granted it is not cancer, um, but we are, we are without hope. There is no cure for our problem of sin, okay? And the idea, the picture it is painting here is we are all sinners. We are without strength. There is absolutely nothing we of ourselves can do to save ourselves. The Bible is very clear on that. A lot of us get this idea that if I'm a good person, if I do enough good works, if I help enough people, if I give enough stuff to people who need help, maybe then I'll find favor in God's eyes and somehow I'll win my way to heaven. But the Bible is clear on that, that it's for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of works. There are no works that can get you to heaven. And don't, don't disregard the good works. As you've heard me say plenty of times, if you paid attention any time I preached, good works are a sign of our faith. We certainly ought to go around sharing 
the good news and helping people out in need and doing anything we can for others. But you are without strength when it comes to saving your own soul. Um, And so we are without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And it says Christ died for the ungodly. And I don't mean to insult you tonight when I say this. I hope I'm not. But I'm going to include myself first. Let me start with me. I am the ungodly. You are the ungodly, okay? The ungodly are the, well, the people that Christ died for. And if Christ didn't have to die for you, then you don't have a need for him. But we know that's not true because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I, I don't think I'm telling you something new tonight. When I tell you the simple fact, we are all sinners, okay? We've all done something we shouldn't have done, something we're not proud of, something that broke God's law. And even if we didn't, we are sinners because our parents were sinners and their parents were sinners. And you can follow it all the way back to Adam and Eve, the original sinners, okay? There's a long line of sinners before us. We are born into the world. We are sinners. We have an inherited um, sin at our birth. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Once again, going over the fact you will never be good enough on your own. That's why it says that we are without strength. We are without strength to save ourselves. But that's when Christ stepped in and took our place. And it says he died for the ungodly. He did something I couldn't do. He took my place. You know, I'm incapable of getting to heaven, but Jesus Christ is capable of getting me to heaven. Um, Verse number seven says, and I love verse number seven and verse number eight. It was one of those verses I don't think I appreciated until I read it a few times. But it says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. In other words, it's rare that somebody's willing to die for somebody else. Okay, And notice it talks about a righteous man and a good man. And we can all think of stories. Like all throughout history, I mean even in the news within the last 10 years, you can think of soldiers who gave themselves up for another soldier. But that's someone they know. Someone that they think of as family. Someone they love. Someone they care about deeply. They were willing to sacrifice themselves for another soldier. And we can think of parents who ran into a fire or jumped into water when maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe they didn't even themselves know how to swim in an effort to try to save a child and gave up their own life in an effort to save somebody else. But once again, like the Bible says, it's scarce. It's rare. It's not a common occurrence that someone is willing to give up their life for somebody else. And it says if they're going to do it, it's going to be for someone they know, someone who's good, someone who's righteous. I don't think people were lining up to to say, hey, you know what? I'll take Ted Bundy's place. Why don't you go ahead and take my life for his? No, we wouldn't do that. We're not crazy enough. They want to do it for somebody who is a good person, someone they love, someone they care about. But verse number eight says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God showed his love to us when we were unlovable. It says while we were yet sinners. And you know what? As I already said, I'm still a sinner. I'm saved by God's grace, and I know I am, but I'm still a sinner, and nothing's ever going to change in that. Um, God is the only thing that can take my place. Jesus Christ took my place, but it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's kind of a hard thing to fathom or really wrap your brain around. You think he gave up his son, and, and this is another one of those things that I don't think I got until I had children of my own. And I started thinking about who would give up their child. And I know in our world there's people that give up their children, and that's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, a normal parent who has that natural affection, that love towards their child, like who would ever give up their child for someone else? I mean, I wouldn't give up my kids for anybody. But God gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to take my place, to take my punishment. 
And he had a plan and he had a purpose. And when you see the big picture of the Bible, it all comes together and you kind of, you're like, whoa, now I get it. So verse number eight, as I already said, it showed us that we are the wicked sinners that deserve to die. But he died for those people. And I want you to realize it says when he died, he died for all. I mean, and, and even this, like, you know, you think of somebody who has wronged you. You know, it's, it's a natural human reaction. We can't change it. When somebody does something to hurt our feelings or insult us, you know, you get a little bitter or irritated towards them. You want to give them a piece of your mind. And, I'm, and when I really think about this verse and what it's saying, you know, Jesus Christ died. And while he was dying, he was dying for the very people that were nailing him to the cross. And you think about the fact that he loved those people that were willing to put him on the cross so much, even in that moment, that he really went through with it. He could have stopped it at any, any time. He could have called 10,000 angels, as the Bible says, or as the song says. He could have done anything he wanted at any moment, but he chose to stay there, and he chose to die for me, and he chose to die for you. He chose to die for them. And that says a lot about our God. You know, our God, a lot of people have a lot to say about him, but it's usually people that don't get in God's word and study it. They think of our God as judgmental, and they think of our God as somebody who is just waiting to cast judgment on somebody. But we, we know that's not true. We know John 3.17 tells us that God came not to condemn the world, but instead to save the world. Um, and I know I didn't quote that exactly right, but that's the idea behind the verse. So he came because he loves us. He came to save us, and for no other reason than that. And there is nothing, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, and there's also nothing we can do that will stop his free gift from being offered to us. It's still there. It's laid out before you. Verse number 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, we are justified. Justified is a simple idea of being declared just or righteous. In other words, it's like your guilt and your punishment has been removed. Now we know that Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death." Okay, wages what we earn. Okay, you're familiar with minimum wage. Same idea. It's your wages. It's what you have earned for your sin is death, and that death is in a place called hell. We know that from God's word. That's what we have earned for being sinners. Um, but we, it says, much more than being now justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. So we're justified. We are forgiven for our punishment when we accept that gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took our place. And it says the only thing that justifies us or makes us pure, makes us innocent, makes us right is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, they had to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. And that lamb was offered. It had to be a perfect lamb, a lamb without spots, without blemish, with no deformities, with no broken bones. You didn't just go and find like the runt of the group. You found the best of the best, the most pure, the right, the perfect one to offer to God in place of your sins. Well, Jesus Christ was that lamb for us. He took our place on the cross. He was the lamb that was sacrificed for your sins and for mine. And you know, he did, and I, I think somebody said it in their testimony tonight. It might have been Mrs. Evie, um, or somebody said it. I don't know who it was. But to think that Jesus died for me. You know, he thought of me when he went to the cross. And yes, he thought of you too. He thought of all of us. He's God. He thinks of everyone. He loves everyone, and his love never runs out. There is no limit on God's love towards you. But to think that he would love me, and you know, I could judge myself by human standards, and I could look and say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, I've never killed anybody, okay, I've never gone to jail, never done this, never done that, but I can't judge myself by God's, or by man's standards, I've got to judge myself by God's standards. And the Bible says that if I'm guilty 
of the law at all, even one of the commandments, then I'm guilty of them all. I'm a sinner in God's eyes. And I don't have to confess my sins to you tonight, and I'm certainly not going to. And I don't want you to confess your sins to me either. The Bible says you don't need to confess your your sins to a man. You can confess them to God. That's a relationship between you and him. But the thing is, I'm thankful knowing every thought that has come in my head and every word that has come out of my mouth and every action that I have done, that God still loved me enough to forgive me. And I'm thankful for that. Verse number 10. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I move on, I do need to point this out. Verse number nine did say, we shall be saved. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Notice that's a future tense, shall be saved from wrath. And the shall be saved from wrath to come, what it's referring to is hell in the lake of fire. That is a future judgment that is coming to those people that ultimately reject God's gift. We know, once again, as I always pointed out, already pointed out, God did not come. He did not send his son to condemn you. There was never that intent in his heart when he sent Jesus Christ. He already knew that you were condemned. He already knew that there was a punishment headed your way because you would never be good enough on your own to get to heaven, which is why he sent Jesus Christ, which is why it's the greatest love story ever known, why it's the greatest love story ever told, because Jesus took your place. In verse number 10, it says, for if we, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we were enemies with God. And, you know, the Bible is clear about this. I know you don't like to think of yourself as an enemy to God, but if you're not saved, if you're in the world, you're ultimately working against God. You're at odds with him. Okay? You're not helping him. You are at that point his enemy until you join his side, until you're on his forces, uh, you know, and, and so forth. And I, and I don't mean to imply in any way that he doesn't love you, that his love doesn't extend to you because it does. But Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. There's a lot of people I know that aren't saved, that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of times where I hear them say that they have prayed and poured their hearts out before God asking for something. But there's something that they need to realize. As long as there is sin between them and God, God is never going to hear them. God will not hear their prayers until there's a relationship with him, until your sins have been forgiven. It's not till you stop sinning because that day will never come. I hope you realize that. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to walk around never sinning again. But God will not hear you when your sin separates him. You have to be reconciled, as this verse said here, which is what Jesus' blood does. When you ask him to come in your heart and save you and ask him to forgive you of your sins and you accept his free gift that he's offered you, at that point, is when you are reconciled to God. At that point is when he will hear you and answer your prayers. At that point is when you have that relationship, that personal relationship with him. Now, I do want to point out to believers that that same thing holds true. If we decide to allow sin to get between us and God, it's never a need of getting saved again. Once you're saved, you're always saved. We know that based on God's word. But the thing is, if we let sin build up in our lives and we let all those things know that don't please God, keep adding up and adding up and adding up, same thing applies to us. God's not going to hear our prayers. God's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. He tells us to be holy like he's holy. He doesn't tell us to live like the world and act like the world and then just come to him when we need a favor. God expects something different from us. So, we, it says at the end of that verse, we shall be saved by his life. 
And, and at first I was like, well, of course we're saved by his life. He came, he lived, he died. But that's not what that actually means. It says we shall be saved by his life. It's referring to his life after the death. His life after death. His resurrection is just as important as his death was. His resurrection is just as important as his birth was. Because the thing is, if God could not save himself, then how could he save you and me? Jesus rose from the dead. He rose after three days. There was more than 500 witnesses that saw it. We know it's in recorded history. It's in the Bible. It's in other books. It's in all kinds of places. We know that there's only one religion in the entire world that has an empty tomb where their God lives. And that's Christianity. Every other tomb is filled with bones right now. Every other tomb is somewhere where people go and they worship or they worship a statue or they worship something made out of wood. But Jesus Christ is risen. We don't have to pray to a statue. We don't have to pray to a grave. We can pray to a living God. And that living God wants a relationship with you. And as he said in John 14, 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I always feel it's necessary to point out he never once said, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He said, I am the way, as in the only way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Because I think we would all agree Okay, if there was another way to get to heaven, why would have Jesus died? I mean, that, that's, that should be the kind of the end of the discussion right there. As far as I'm concerned, because I know that if, if you had, oh, I don't know, another way out of something, whatever it is, debt, anything. If a guy said, hey, you can work for me for a week or you can pay me $10,000. There's another way. There's options. There are not options here. There's one way and that's it. We cannot save ourselves. Our only way is through him. And that's why his resurrection is so important. Verse number 11 says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can now have a true joy or inner peace because of his atonement. And you may not know what his atonement is, but basically it means this, that your sins have been covered by his blood. Period. That is the atonement. That's what's been offered. And so we can have a joy inside of us. And I think we can all agree, those of you that are saved, those of you that have that relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a different joy and a different peace that takes place in your heart once you have Jesus Christ living there. It's not the same as before. I'm not saying that everything is all going to be like rainbows and butterflies all the time because that's not reality. We live in a world that's not perfect. There is going to be sickness and there's going to be financial problems and there's going to be issues that will arise. But the thing is, we can always have a joy and a peace of knowing a living God that is living in our heart, that is there to comfort us throughout there. It's a joy and a peace that we can't know until we know Jesus Christ. And he brings that joy. And so many people in this world are looking for joy. They're looking for peace. They're looking for something to make them happy. And we think of Christmas and we think of gifts and we think of all the happiness and the joy. And they even make the signs that say peace, love, and joy all over the city and stuff. But they can't know that joy until they know the reason of Christmas. You know, and and like I like to point out to people, I mean, the first word of Christmas is Christ. It is ultimately what it's about. It's not about any other tradition. It's not about anybody else. It's not about another mythological creature. It's nothing like that. It is about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, the one true living God. And I'm not telling you don't celebrate Christmas because Christmas is a wonderful thing to celebrate. I think we give gifts, as I tell my kids, we give gifts to each other ultimately out of love. I give my kids gifts every year because I love them. And I give them gifts because Jesus Christ once gave me a gift. We honor Christ by giving gifts. And it's not just giving each other gifts. It's helping other people out and it's sharing the gift of Christ with others. Verse number 12 says this. 
It says, I'm sorry, I didn't finish verse number 11. I got ahead of myself. By whom we have now received the atonement. And I want you to realize when we've received that atonement, when we have that joy and that peace in our heart, when we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior, you have a new position in Christ. And and don't ever take that for granted. A lot of us just kind of like check things off like we do them. But, you know, once you are saved, you are a child of God. Like you are now adopted into the family of God. The heavenly father is actually your father now. He is the one that you can go before. And as the Bible tells us, you know, we know how to give our own kids gifts. So imagine, I mean, God knows how to take care of us. What would he want to hold back from you that is good? And I don't mean that to say like those, you'll hear people say that like you can be rich if you just follow God and you can be this. And I'm not saying that God's going to give you a Corvette and a giant house and a big bank account because that's nonsense. But if you know how to get that, talk to me after the service. Just kidding. No, um, no, I'm kidding. But the thing is, God will give us what we need. He is our heavenly father. He will take care of our needs because he loves us. He wants what is good for you. He wants what is best for you. He is our father. So number 12, or verse number 12 says this, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Plain and simple, Sin, in the world terms, anyways, started with Adam and Eve in the garden. By one man, sin entered into the world. That was the beginning of it. It was a choice. It was a choice made to disobey God's commandment and God's laws. Now, we can look at Adam and say that he ruined everything and just messed everything up for us. But I think we can all safely say that every one of us has messed everything up for ourselves just fine. We didn't need Adam to do it for us. I think we're all guilty of sin, that we all have done something, as I said before, that we're not proud of, okay? Something that we would be ashamed of if we stood before God and had to confess everything we had done in our lives. But sin entered in the world through that one man, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every person since Adam has sinned. Nobody has walked this earth and been perfect except for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And he did have a huge advantage. He was the son of God. Okay. He came for that purpose to take our place. And, you know, I could preach all night on the next few verses, but I'm not going to. I just want to point out to you the fact that the next handful of verses compare the, what Adam was and what Christ is, okay? And how Adam introduced sin and Christ introduced forgiveness. And Adam introduced sin and, and, and Christ inter, introduced righteousness and perfection and everything that's right. But I want to look at verses 19 and 20 before I wrap up. And it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners... That's Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And that's Jesus Christ. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, God's grace is greater than all your sin. Again, I don't know what you've done, what you haven't done. But I know that God's grace is greater than your sin. I can't sit here and tell you that there'll be no consequences for your sin. Because when we make bad choices, there's consequences. But I can tell you that God's grace is greater and that anything you've ever done can be forgiven by God. And I would rather get it taken care of here than wait until I'm standing before God after this life has passed away and try to get it taken care of at that point when it's too late. You know, I said earlier, Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned for our sin. But the second half of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just like his birth was to us, it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's a gift that is offered with no strings attached. I tell people all the time, this is what I love preaching to kids because I tell them this. Um, 
They say, I tell them a gift is something that you can do nothing to get. So if somebody tells you that you have to be good to get it, hint, hint, special time of year. But if you have to be good to get it, it's not a gift. You're working for it. If somebody says you won't get your birthday presents unless you're good, it's no longer a gift. You're now earning those presents. And I don't take that away. I I remind them to be thankful for what their parents give them, to be thankful for those things. But I need them to realize a gift is something you can truly do nothing yourself to get. It is something that is offered to you freely with no strings attached. And that's what Romans 6.23 says. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're trusting in anything else, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ dying on the cross plus something else, you're not getting it. There is nothing you can do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It's all about the faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Once again, there's the word gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Plain and simple, if you could work your way to heaven, you'd walk around bragging, telling everybody how good you are. But the Bible says you can't. There is no way to work your way to heaven. Romans 10, 13 tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says whosoever, meaning anybody, anybody's name you want to fill in there, it applies to you. Plain and simple. Doesn't limit it. You don't have to be a Baptist. You can be a Methodist, a Catholic. You can be Episcopalian. You can be whatever you want to be. But at the end of the day, you have to call on Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior. That is the only thing that will save you, that and that alone. The greatest gift that you could give Jesus Christ for his birthday would be your own life. And I don't mean giving up your life. I mean accepting his free gift of salvation. And I stand here before you not as feeling like I'm holier than thou and I've done all this. I stand here before you knowing that because I've accepted that gift. And I know not everybody knows exactly when it was. I wrote mine down in my Bible. February 17th, 1999. It was right here in the gymnasium. I feel like I'm turned around. But the gymnasium in the parking lot. I... I was sitting there, the Minutemen team were there, um, and, and it was a, a war of special forces, it was a fun activity with teens. They preached the gospel, and I realized that night that there is never a time that I had truly put my faith completely in Jesus Christ. It's not about a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It's not about walking down in an invitation, because that doesn't save you either. It wasn't about baptism, whether you've been sprinkled, dunked, or anything else, it's not going to save you. The only thing that will save you is fully, completely trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and I took the Faith Bible Institute course, and I love the way John Yates said this. In the course, he said, a lot of people get hung up where they feel like, you know, well, I, I prayed once, and I, and I did put my trust in God, but I don't really feel saved. You know, there's two reasons for that. Number one, you may not be right with God. You're not living for him. The further away from him, you're going to feel distant from God. But the other thing is, is because we put our focus on the wrong point. The point was not the prayer you said, as I already said. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ today for dying on the cross the same way I was back in 1999, almost 20 years ago. Wow, that was a long time ago. I feel old. But almost 20 years ago when I accepted him as my savior, it's me putting my trust and my faith in him and him alone. Salvation is not something you can lose. The Bible says that once you are in Jesus's hand, you are also in God's hand and no man can pluck you out of them. Nobody's stronger than God. and They're not going to take your salvation away. Once you are saved, you are always saved. I don't know what you've done, where you're from, uh, what your background is or your beliefs, but I do know this. 
I know based on God's word, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that tonight, I certainly want to give you an opportunity to make that decision tonight. And we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. I believe Brother Smith is going to come up, and we are going to sing a a hymn of invitation. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads.